0: and sisters, I am grateful to share this word with you. Um, We are are coming to a conclusion of our time in Ecclesiastes, and um, and so we're going to shift gears a little bit tonight in chapter 8. So if you're in the church's Bible, we will be on page 770. And I think that Chapter eight is my favorite chapter so far. This is my favorite, my favorite message. Um, like all of Solomon's messages, they are they are not uh, perfect, like a poem or like an essay, um, but somebody who is is being honest with themselves and. Reaching a level of reality without the Spirit of God. And that's so important that we recognize that Solomon is a a man who is filled with the world's wisdom. The Lord has given him unparalleled understanding, but he is still in the things of this flesh. So his spectrum for truth is still limited. His grasp on spiritual reality is still limited. But what he shares with us is, is a shadow. And it is a partial understanding that I believe we can press into and see the fullness that God would have us to understand tonight. So in chapter 8, um, most of your Bibles probably have a subheading that doesn't begin until verse 2. So the first verse really stands as kind of a unique prologue. It, it it for many continues from what is written in chapter 7. But I believe that Solomon is is journaling in a way. And he begins asking a question of himself, a proverbial reality that then he delves into further. He begins in verse one and he says, who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A wise, excuse me, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. As I've already done, let me spoil this a little bit further to say that Solomon is writing under the sun here. He is not gazing out in eternity with spiritual understanding that the Holy Spirit has given him like we have the opportunity to enjoy today. He is looking out in one sense over a desolate wasteland that man apart from God is destined to doom, to hell, to separation. And he says this in this proverbial way, who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A wise man is one who knows how how to interpret. And this word interpret means to open up, to find a solution. We can think of all of the quandaries that Solomon found himself in in his life. And he was one who could find solutions, who could find ways to explain what others couldn't, who could offer answers to difficult questions. Then he says, wisdom makes a face shine, and essentially it changes the default of one's face from sternness. He says that without wisdom, we are essentially destined to have an angry, frustrated countenance to us. That sounds about right, because if you've ever been in doubt, if you've ever had uncertainty, if you've ever been confused, it is difficult to be joyful and happy and confident, isn't it? It's far easier to be frustrated and stern and angry. So he says one who has wisdom, his countenance can change, his face can shine. But before we go into spiritual understandings that seem grand and awesome, we must remember he's still talking about the flesh here. So, with this in mind, Solomon is going to share with us four different things. So, Bill, if you'd put the slide up, uh, we will we'll kind of look at the things that. Uh oh, I think we've got the wrong slide here. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sure that's my fault. Well, what I'll tell you is that there's, there's really four things that he is going to tell us. He's going to tell us that we should anticipate wicked rulers. He's going to tell us that we should expect injustice. He is going to tell us that, as a result, we should enjoy this life because this world is filled with darkness. So let's read together all of the rest of chapter 8, verses 2 through 17. Solomon says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God, Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment. Though the misery of man increases greatly... For he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. And no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war. And wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. All this I have seen. And applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which... One man rules over another to his own hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does Evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged. Yet surely I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow, because he does not fear God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, and there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom It happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though no one sleeps, excuse me, no one sees No sleep, day or night. Then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So Solomon examines four different things to which he says, There is vanity. I've titled this message Enduring the Vanity, because really in some way Solomon is describing our lives here on earth and that they are filled with many things that all of these things do not prove to work out the way that we want them. So in a sense, we have to endure this vanity. I don't know about you, but it's not difficult to think back over the things that have happened this week to see the chaos and the dysfunction and the disappointments and the worries and the anxieties, to see that really what we do most of our time is in endure vanity. Now, we've got to remember that this message has the opportunity to depress us or to refresh us. If we see these things that we're walking through merely as exactly what they are, then this will depress us because all we do is endure the vanity that is our lives. But if we see the hope that we're offered by the Spirit of God and by salvation, then we should be refreshed by knowing the same truth, that most of the way that we spend our time is vanity, but it can be different. So the first thing that Solomon talks about is submitting to authority. So in, in verse 2 he says, I say keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Now this could seem a little self-serving because Solomon is the king at this time. So he's writing and saying it's really good to submit to government, to authority, particularly that of the king. But he says we don't do this to honor the king themselves, but God. See, we do this for the sake of our oath to God. We'll come back to that here in a second. It's good to follow the king because he's powerful. We can read on in verse 4. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And <coughs> excuse me, and who may say no to him? Who may say, what are you doing? But instead, in verse 5, he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. So Solomon is trying to give us a template that it is best to submit to authority. In verse 5, sandwiched in between all of these things, he says something profound. He says in the second half of 5, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. So to say that, that it's easy for some to look at what a king does, what power does, what any authority does, and criticize it. But he says a wise man discerns both time and judgment. Like chapter 3, there is a time and a purpose for everything. A foolish person looks out for their own ends and sees everything as an abomination, as a failure, as, well, taking what isn't its. But a wise person sees that there is a time and a purpose for everything they see that we're not operating just by minutes and hours of this day but in the seasons that the lord would allow then he goes on in 6 and 7 and he says because for every matter there is a well yeah he says it again for every matter there is a time and a judgment though the misery of man increases greatly for he does not know what will happen so who can tell him when it will occur Now he's talking about a man who isn't wise, who isn't prudent. And these people are frustrated because time and judgments lead only to their misery. He has this depressingness to him. That's that's a terrible way to say it, depressingness. Solomon is overcome with depression because he says we cannot know what is going to happen. This makes sense because Solomon wants to know everything. He wants to have all the information, all the understanding that he can, and so when he doesn't understand something, it overwhelms him with depression. He's frustrated not to understand something, and to him, it is far worse than death. He goes on, and he follows this up to talk about death and says, No one has power over the day of death. There is no release from that war and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So Solomon realizes that under the sun, death has no winners, and there is no release from the war of this world. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the fullness of salvation, of eternal life like we do, and so he saw death as offering nothing for no one. But worse than that was not understanding what was going to happen. Now, as silly as this sounds, how often do we consume ourselves with knowing what God hasn't shown us? With being concerned about the things that we cannot change, that we cannot make the way that we are. This, for Solomon, was the worst. I've been thinking about a few scriptures and what Solomon would think about them in the context of what he writes. Romans 13.1 says, that there is no authority except from God. The authorities which exist are appointed by God. In Acts 4.19, we read of men that were called according to God's purpose, and they were being called before men who disagreed with them, who were reigning over them, and their response was to say, are we to obey man rather than God? The problem with scriptures like these is that many times we rely on them for what suits us. We use these perhaps as as guidelines, but really to reinforce the exceptions. Well, what do we do if government is this? What do we do if our boss says this? Well, I mean, is it better for us to obey man than God? Or surely that's not what... What Paul meant in Romans, that there is no authority except from God. Certainly not all the leaders that we see in the world, all the supervisors that we have have been appointed by God. We'll come back to that. The next thing that that Solomon is going to address is that we should anticipate wicked rulers. Let's read verses 9 through 13 together. He says, All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are a shadow because he does not fear God. So Solomon is saying with certainty that we should anticipate wickedness, that we should not be surprised when there are rulers, when there are authorities, when there are powers that are filled with greed and filled with evil. In verse 9, he's saying that he has considered everything that happens under the sun. There is a time when a man will lord his power over another, when one will have power to hurt others when one will use their power to their own detriment. These aren't really difficult truths to see, right? We don't, we don't have to watch much of the news to realize that people lord their power over others, that their power has the opportunity to bring hurt and pain, and that often people use their own authority, their own power, and they hurt themselves as a result. This is all plain to see. And this is what Solomon is saying, is that we should not be surprised by these things. In verse 10, he describes one who is, he's describing the wicked and that even when they die, their wickedness is forgotten. So think about the, the greatest wickedness that we can imagine in a contemporary context in our world right now. Leaders who are committing genocide over their own people. Nations that go to war against defenseless other nations. And Solomon saying, really, those wicked, they will die and their evil will soon be forgotten. They're not accountable. And he despairs over this. The new the New Living Translation says verse 10 this way, "The wicked are buried with honor, receiving praise in their city of corruption." See, even those according to Solomon who do great atrocities and evil, are often given honor in the city in which they committed such evil. In verse 11, he, he is frustrated because people are not held accountable, and it encourages others to do evil. Men are not punished after death. Men are not punished in life. Who are these men that he wants punished? Solomon, we've studied, is not a man who was following the Lord's purpose all of his life. Solomon was a man who even enslaved his own people to build the Lord's temple. Solomon was a man whose kingdom was ripped from him and his descendants as a result of his tyrannical reign. Yet Solomon is saying, why are people not punished in death? Why are they not punished in life? Why is there no accountability for all the evil that happens under the sun? This seems a bit ironic for such a person to want justice in all the world. Yet isn't that how we are sometimes? We look out and we see all the evil that occurs, all the double standards, all the injustice, and we look outwardly and not inwardly. The next thing Solomon's going to tell us is that we should expect injustice. In verse 14 and 16 through 17, he tells us Job kind of stuff. That sometimes the righteous suffer while the wicked seem blessed and nice guys finish last. This is vanity, Solomon says. In 14 he said, there is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are no just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, the wicked are men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. He says, we cannot always understand why things happen the way that they do. It's why the church is filled with people asking questions like, how could a good God allow this to happen? How could a good God allow, allow bad people to, reave, to reap blessings and good people to go hungry and suffer great turmoil? Spoiler here, Solomon is speaking from this eternity-excluding viewpoint. Under the sun, in the flesh, we will never understand why these things happen. My question is, will this frustrate us enough to leave the flesh? When we have these kind of questions, we should be asking, in what frame am I asking them? Am I asking them in the flesh, in my pride, in my selfishness, in my control, in my fear? Or am I asking these questions according to the Spirit? We will find no answer to life's questions in the flesh. As a result of these these evil things, sandwiched in between this last section of injustice Solomon says, like he regularly does, that we should simply enjoy this life. We should simply do the best we can in this life to eat, to drink, and to be merry. Now, with this worldview, I would say that a good meal um, and some cold water is about the best that we can do, right? But we continue to search for more, don't we? We continue to expect that there will be more to life, even operating according to these standards. So kind of like Solomon peering out over all that is under the sun, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about this this week. I've been thinking about all of these things that are indeed vanity. And what I have seen is denial. Our denial of the vanity. We are surprised by authority, by wicked rulers, and by injustice. Just think about our time spent watching the news and just gasping and in awe and surprise and in confusion. How could all these things be? But in our denial, our surprise, it comes as a result of passive, self-imposed ignorance. We have chosen this reality for ourselves. It's a result that man's wisdom produces pride. See, if we, like Solomon, are operating according to our best efforts to have insight and understanding over the things that are taking place in the flesh, we will continue to be surprised, to be angry, to be frustrated, and to be overcome by the enemy. On the other hand, if we are able to accept and acknowledge the world's authority, the power behind wickedness and injustice, if we refuse wisdom, self-reliance, and pride, if we take on the banner of the Lord Almighty God, then we can have a new countenance that is not governed by the things under the sun. Let's look back at verse 1 again. Solomon says, who is like a wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? I want to challenge us to read this more spiritually, so let me, let me put it another way. Who is like one that is led by the Spirit, who understands God's purpose in a situation? The Lord's presence changes their countenance from evil to good you want to know what vanity is. Vanity is thinking according to the flesh. All is vanity. All thinking in the flesh, absent of spirit, is complete vanity. It is emptiness. It is nothingness. It is meaninglessness. I love the opportunity to see this because I think even in Solomon's best way here, he begins this message by saying, if we can just get a hold of some wisdom, if we can just have some understanding, then all of this this vanity we're enduring will be endurable. We can make it through this if we just have the right kind of understanding. And that is a half-truth of which Solomon was a, half partaker. But if we could see the spiritual realm, that if we could align with the Spirit of God, then these things are not just something we can endure, but we can overcome. We can overcome the works of the enemy, and we can overcome these days of vanity that seem to swallow us up. The Lord gave me a good example. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. I love someone in scripture to look at and to understand what the Lord is calling us to. I wished that Solomon could have lived to see this man, Stephen. Acts chapter 6, page 1259. We read about this man named Stephen, a man full of faith and the spirit. I love that that the translations say that he was not just faithful, but full of faith and the Spirit. Let's read in in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which he spoke. So Stephen is speaking, and we know that he's going to give this incredible testimony, this incredible sermon that encompasses nearly all of the Old Testament and the story of Israel's salvation and deliverance. And it says that those listening were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit. See, there is room for wisdom and the Spirit, but the fullness is when they are paired Together, our wisdom without the Spirit is of no use and of no purpose for the Lord. When there is Spirit, none will be able to resist. Look down at verse at verse fifteen. It says, "And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel." That's exactly what the Greek says. That they they saw his face, and it looked. Like an angel, And I don't even know what they mean by that, but, but to say that somehow his countenance was different than any other, as if they were seeing a messenger of God, and that is what an angel is, a messenger of God. So these looking upon Stephen, these that were coming to throw stones and to, to bring destruction to, God's, to, to Christ's followers were overwhelmed by this man who was full of wisdom and the spirit. They could not resist his understanding. They could not resist his message. And when they saw him, they saw one who was like the face of an angel. So then Stephen continues his message and in verse fifty one of chapter seven things things get a little bit gritty when he confronts those who are not willing to receive the Holy Spirit he says in in fifty one you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you We'll read on um, Which of the the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see, that the heaven, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the eyewitnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So here we have this man, Stephen, who is facing a crowd that is no doubt resisting his word, a situation that I don't even think Saul, uh, excuse me, Solomon, is, is fully addressing, a, a situation with chaos and calamity and difficulty. And so Stephen looks out among these people and he is filled with with the Holy Spirit. He has the countenance as, as the messenger of God. And even after he gives his message and they are going to stone him, they see in him, what does it say in 50? It, or he sees, he is still seeing the Lord. Hmm, what do I want to say here? So Stephen is filled with faith and the Spirit. None were able to resist his wisdom and the Spirit. In resistance, he shined like a messenger of God. And even unto death, he saw the spiritual things of God and not the ends of man. What Solomon is grasping at in chapter 8, verse 1 is to say one with wisdom and one with the spirit does not see what man sees, but sees what God would allow him to see. Seeing what God would allow us to see will change our countenance from frustration and sternness to joyfulness. I wanna turn another place, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter two, over just a few pages to 1311. one of my favorite passages in scripture so we'll read a good chunk beginning in chapter 2 verse 1 through verse 15. Paul says, and I brethren when I came to you did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words or human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the things of deep, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 13 says, these things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. There is no comparison between the physical things and the spiritual things. Yes, the things that we experience physically Give us understanding of what is going on in the spirit realm, but we cannot continue to compare these things as if they are equals. We cannot begin with Solomon's wisdom and seeking to understand the spiritual things and then read all of what he says that we will encounter an evilness of authority, an evilness of government, and in the injustices that we see we have to compare pair what is spiritual with what is spiritual. That means we have to press into what God's spirit will inspire us to understand. And as we look out over the world, we're not looking just in the physical dimensions, but in the spiritual realm. See, what I believe Solomon was grasping at his best to try to explain is that what we experience and what we think we're enduring is vanity, but it does not have to be. When we see authorities that are in power and wickedness that is prevailing, we will certainly be depressed if we're thinking of it according to our flesh and our selfish ways. But if we seek to to see God and his kingdom brought near, if we Put on our spiritual eyes, then we can see God's purpose in every time and every judgment and every event. My friends, I pray that we would discern Solomon's instructions and that we would join our brothers Stephen and Paul in the spiritual realm. Where we would allow the Lord's countenance to fall upon us to change our vision, to change our understanding, that the things that we go through, the things that we see, will not surely bring our attitude to destruction, our minds to evil, our minds to emptiness. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is the blessing that God gave over Aaron and his sons, those who would enter into priestly service. Turn with me to the last scripture which will be in Numbers chapter 6 in the church's Bible on page 157. So the Lord is speaking to Moses in 22, and he, he tells him to speak to Aaron and his sons, all that would come into priestly service. I think sometimes we, we think of these people who were in the order of priests, who were prophets, who were spiritual leaders like Elisha and Elijah like Samuel, and we think of these people who had such supernatural vision that they never fell, that they never had weakness, that they never had doubt. If that was the case, then the Lord wouldn't have given this blessing to Moses and say, this is what you are to proclaim over my people who will lead my people. We're told in the New Testament that we are a part of a royal priesthood. We're not those who need to come in for a weekly confession to be refreshed. We are those who are called according to the order of Melchizedek, of the the high priest Jesus. We will leave this place and we will see evil and we will see destruction and we will see the things of this world that are certain to want to pull us from the ways of God. I pray that we would hear these words, that we would receive these words as a blessing tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. I pray that we would seek the Lord's countenance, that we would receive his peace for all matters that are under the sun and in the spirit. Amen.